coming up on Saturday at the Connecticut Eastern Railroad Museum. It will be Railroad Day. Who better to talk about that but the train man himself, Ray Axelrod, here to join us and talk about trains and talk about Railroad Day. Good morning, Ray. Thanks for coming in today. And Good morning, Wayne. I promised to be at least half awake. Minute. Why is that not working there? Oh, that's why, because somebody unpunched that button. Let's try this again. Hey, good morning, Ray. Good morning, Wayne. Well, is that better? Yeah, you sound a whole lot better now. Well, Railroad Day on Saturday, 11 to 3 at the museum. What is Railroad Day? Railroad Day is our biggest event of the year. We gather together a lot of planning to go into Railroad Day and pull out the stops to get a lot of volunteers down. We'll have train rides with, behind the 44-ton locomotive with the two cabooses, the Rutland caboose and CV caboose, right around the basically the yard within the fencing area of the museum. And then we're going to have speeders going down from the east crossing all the way down toward Bridge Street, toward the end of our track. And we'll also have pump car rides so Wayne can come out and Pump. And do the pump cover, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Get some exercise. And uh, exactly what is a speeder, right? I think of that like there was a guy doing 115 and 84 the other day that John talked about on the news. That's not what this That's is? That's not quite what we're talking about. Well, what is a speeder? Think of a lawnmower on tracks. <laughs> oh. it, it, it takes care of the grass on the ties? Well, actually, a guy <laughs> came down with one of those that, you know, can was uh, basically a lawnmower three three-blade lawnmower deck mounted on railway, light rail wheels. A speeder is what was used after the pump car and before the present day when they're using pickups and stuff to go along the rails for the work crews and the inspection. A speeder is basically a, a small, yeah, do, basically dune buggy size or John Deere cart, golf cart size vehicle, maybe a little bit bigger. And it can go along the rail. The, inspe- the supervisor or the track crew might have it. And they could actually tow maybe two or three small cars about 10 feet long behind it with some ties, maybe a couple of pieces of rail. It's not going to be able to handle a lot, but it could, could get people out to where they needed to go. And if you figure in the day when we were using this, say from, I don't know, probably about the, the 20s to the early 80s or so, you had a lot more rail crews. Probably until about the 1960s, the railroads had actually, on main lines, they would have a crew out for a section house and a crew for about every 10 to 15 miles of rail. So they only had to go out so far to do their thing. And if they needed heavier equipment, they'd have a work train out there but if they were just repairing one piece of rail or if they're out cleaning the tracks after a snowstorm you know they have to they have to gouge out the crossings to get the ice out of the crossing or else the locomotive could push up on ice in the crossing you know like lighter work if the, the plowing is already done but say you're going around cleaning out the switches in the crossing you might use this thing Ray when I was a kid in Hollywood California I had You're from Hollywood. I grew up in Hollywood. Well, I never grew up, I, but I, I I lived in Hollywood when I was. We a both kid. never grew up. That's uh, the problem. Well, right, that's where right this here. is going. I had Lionel trains when you were a kid. What did you have? I had Lionel. I had Marks. I had Amer. I had anything and everything that was broken from my cousins. 
like hand-me-downs? I had the hand-me-down trains, yeah. How about uh, H.O. gauge? A little bit of H.O. More yeah. of my brother Marty had the H- NHO layout, and we went to shows and stuff. When I was a kid, I had Martin as a rail fan. I can blame my older brother for rail fan disease, which actually tracks back to Jack Allen was an art teacher at Wyndham High School. In the early 60s, he had a rail fan club as one of the activity clubs. And there, there are still about 10 or 12 guys in the area who were in that club over the years who are still involved in trains, train clubs, and do a lot of things. My friend Bill, who's not listening right now, worked for 50 years at the Valley Railroad as a state, as an engineer. So he went all the way from when they were first relaying the ties down there to open the valley back in, I don't know, 70, 71, to last year he was working and he got official retirement last May. Well, I asked the question about what you and I had for railroad as a kid just to make the tie-in on Kids on Railroad Day. What specifically do you think the kids will glom onto when they visit the Connecticut Eastern Railroad Museum? Between, the whole darn Railroad Museum. Between 11 and 3 o'clock on Saturday. I think some of them will glom onto the push car. Some of them will go to the turntable and go, can we spin around on this? And the cabooses, the, a caboose ride. There's all, we also have Eastern students usually coming down and doing face painting and stuff. We have the, the Betty Lou and its adjoining train, which is a small climb-on train. The Betty Lou is the thing, that, the it locomotive model that used to be down at G&L Christmas Barn. We got that through Mary Lou DeVivo. Not Betty Lou, sorry. Sorry, Mary Lou's ghost. They come haunt me now. And we've also got the Garden Railroad which is very small, but you can ride on type trackage and and train cars. And we've got a a picnic area, and I'm not positive what we're doing for food. That I can't tell you. I will tell you that adults are going to be $10 this year. That's up a little bit from last year. Kids 8 to 12 are $5 a piece. And the younger, smaller ones, unlike Wayne and Ray, are free. All right. Well, you, you and I are unique, Ray, in the sense that we both have turntables at the office. I have one here that plays actual vinyl. I've got a lot of vinyl behind me here. And you have a turntable at your office. Tell the people what a turntable is and why it's so cool and why the kids are going to like seeing that. Well, Wayne Wayne has the tiny turntable for those discs, you know. <laughs> Ray's but, got but, the really but, big but, one. But the Rail Museum, we've got... We've got the turntable for the 60-foot locomotive or so and things like that. A turntable was used by the railroad for a couple of things. You could turn a freight car to if the load was oriented to a specific door and you needed to d- deliver a specific side to the customer's siding. You could bring a locomotive on it and turn it if, the, if let's say, a train came in from Providence and they needed to... They were running back to Providence, so the locomotive was oriented in the right direction, could go to the front of the train. And you can also use a turntable to locate which stall of the roundhouse you want to put the particular car or locomotive into. We have a six-stall roundhouse, which is a rebuild of the 1890s roundhouse that was here at Willimannock. 
And but if you go down New London was a six or eight stall roundhouse. I'm not sure what that how big that was on central Vermont. And then down in New Haven, the roundhouses there were two roundhouses west of the station, and they were both over forty stalls. And basically they would take one stall which had no doors, no no ends, and that was a come-through path to get to the turntable in the center of those roundhouses, and then they could locate the locomotive to any stall they wanted to go into for repairs. Now, one thing that I love having you on, and one thing that's so great about the museum, is the history. Because as you said, 1890, this was a hopping railroad town back then. Things change. We'll get to that in a second. But when people go to Railroad Day this Saturday from 11 till 3 at the Connecticut Eastern Railroad What time is that, Wayne? uh, That would be 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. Don't go at 11 p.m. because I don't think anybody's going to be home. But when they go, will they also learn pieces of history? Will history buffs get into this? Oh, sure. I mean, we, we will be around answering questions and doing tours. The ver- you know, the the train rides themselves, the conductors will describe what what the machinery is and what you're operating on and more of where the trains used to go from Willimantic, as well as we'll be there to answer questions in the roundhouse and just talk to people and get an idea. Plus the idea of a picture is worth a thousand words, so Ray, shut up already. I've heard that this morning. And, not um, from me. I know, not from you. I just leave that anonymous. Um, Who could it possibly be? Well, I have too much at morning. The guy in front and of you at Dunkin' Donuts. That's yeah, who that, yeah, that's okay. who it was. All right. um, <laughs> anyway, picture is worth a thousand words. And just walking around the museum and getting an idea of the track layout and what was there, what would be there in a, in a museum village, a railroad work area you'll get a good sketch of what was around and what kind of tools and equipment was around. Because Columbia, the Columbia Junction Roundhouse was actually built after the New Haven Railroad took over New York and New England and wanted to upgrade the junction and facilities here at Willimantic. So it's actually built in what was the Y, or split between the, the line to Hartford and the line to Middletown and New Haven or otherwise known as the airline. And the Hop. And the Hop River line, yes. Yes, oh, trail walker. Wayne is our our winning trail walker every day. Not only have I walked them all, but I've actually passed you on the airline trail one day. Uh, That was was brilliant. More than one one day. I think we've met about three times on the trail. And that leads to conversation and hysterics. Well, and then there was also the uh, the Walktober thing. I've actually done two Walktober things with you, and one of them was out at uh, Chewink Road in Chaplin, and the other one was Hop River. Was the Hop was the Hop River at Hop River Road a day that you talked about? Uh, maybe just talk about this. We're a little off topic here, but but the 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 original tour I think that day was to let people know that the American Thread Company, or the mills, I think it was the American Thread Company, had subsidiary mills around this area, and there are still the remains of that mill off Hop River Road in Coventry that are there. We took a walk through the leaves, luckily didn't get ticks, I didn't, and you told that story. Yeah, they, at Hop River there was there was sub, you know, a small mill village that was both, there was a mill in Coventry, there was a mill in, in Colum- on the Columbia side 
as well as a little school and and factory. Um, for some time, it was the, the mill in Columbia was actually owned by William Gilson the the second and operated it somewhat in conjunction, making products that augmented stuff at American Thread. There are also a number of different operations in that building over the years, from roughly the 1820s right up until about the 1930s. We're not, they're researching exactly when that building actually came down. And I know Joan Hill, Columbia Historical Society, have worked to, to actually acquire that property in Columbia as historical property, clear out, do archeological digs, uh, from what Wayne saw seven years ago, the property is totally different. There has been much excavation, a lot of work, and there was a lot of work to get that property away, you know, the rights to the property from the landowner and have the town acquire it as a preservation, piece of preservation land for both historical and conservation reasons. And when you're there, you can see the foundations, you can see the spillway, you can see the main spillway, which is a gigantic wall, actually, of over a thousand feet stone and brick wall and where there was a dam and, th and things. There's an arch bridge up there. And, you know, it's, it's actually rather reminiscent of the wall by the, um, by the Bridge of Flowers along Providence and Worcester as far as length. I believe the one here in Willimannock along the Providence of Worcester is about two, a thousand feet longer, but you just begin to realize how much was built before you could even open the mill. You had to, you had to get the mill site located and figure out, a millwright would figure out exactly what they, what they could build, what was the water capacity, what, how much did you want to divert to the, to the spinning wheels, not spinning wheels, but water wheels. I'll get that right another day. And, you know, there, there's a lot behind. And those mills are sort of, the, you know, the reason, there are multiple reasons railroads were built, but they're built, to, one, to follow the river because the river is the easiest course or climb for the railroads up hills and grades through the area, especially north-south here in Connecticut. And as well, you're trying to go to places where the business already is and where it will develop. Because in Connecticut, the mills were already there when the or right along with the railroads beginning in the 1820s, well, railroads begin in the 1840s, really, but 1820s is about the era when you start getting bigger mills throughout many places in Connecticut. And right. we will talk about that and railroad maps and things at the Railroad Museum. Also, in the, the Old Groton Depot, we have a map of Connecticut railroads at, as presently owned, which will actually show you the owner designation, what railroad operates them, and also many of the right-of-ways that have become the rail trails. And I, I will just go off a little railroad political here. There are some trails in Connecticut that should be trails with rails, but, you know, Connecticut DOT politics and, well, shall I say, the rail conservancy and some local issues have led to abandonment of rail that could be operating or not. Well, on the case of the Hop River Trail, that could be rail with trail. 
because the last time Providence and Worcester, Connecticut Southern, and New England Central went to DOT in 1999, they proposed reopening the line for $26 million, and DOT said, no, not right now. And that article can be found from the Norwich Bulletin in mid-year 1999. That street we talked about, Hop River Road, not one that a lot of people take unless they're going to the trailhead. And uh, that's got that little dam Ray talked about is pretty cool, especially on days when there's been a lot of rain. There's quite a flow over it. But uh, that day back in 2015 when I did the walking weekend or Walktober tour of the old mill site there, Ray took us also out for about a quarter mile on the Hop River Trail. That was the day I discovered it, and I think most people know that I spent a lot of time on the Hop River Trail, the Airline Trail, and the Willimantic River Trail. That day literally changed my life, and I appreciate that from Ray Axelrod from Connecticut Eastern Railroad Museum. They've got Railroad Day coming up this Saturday. From what time? From 11 to 3, Wayne. Well said. I am joined by Ray Axelrod from the Connecticut Eastern Railroad Museum. Their Railroad Day, their biggest event of the year, is coming up this Saturday from 11 until 3, and it's called Railroad Day. Speaking of the city of New Orleans, Mr. Axelrod is wearing a T-shirt this morning. Ray, could you tell the people what the T-shirt is you're wearing today? The T-shirt is a depiction of the city of New Orleans on the bottom. Uh, It's an Amtrak t-shirt I bought in Chicago back in 2017, and it also has Louis Armstrong in silhouette playing his his trumpet and stuff, so it's it's the heritage of the city of New Orleans. It's in honor of the train, and I also have a a t-shirt for the Capital Limited. Those are my two Amtrak shirts. We won't get into that there's there's about 20 other train shirts in my t-shirt collection. And you picked City of New Orleans for today, so uh, I like that T-shirt. Had to bring it up. Now, thank you. We have an email question from our pal Dave Wallenchevitz from Impact Fire. Please ask Ray if the building across from Rec Park's entrance at 67 Main Street, that's corner of Main and Mayo, was ever used to repair trolley cars that ran on Main Street. That's the story we've heard. I, I hadn't heard that story, Wayne, and as far as I know, the trolley came up basically from Norwich, from Franklin Square in Norwich. It would go up 97 through Taftville, and then come through Taftville by Panema Mills, and that whole area through Baltic. In fact, in Occam, there were, I met a guy one time at the when we were doing our train show, it was one guy who came over and talked to me, and he said, well, on our property, which is on 97 right there in Occam, I want to say Mucko because that's Occam backwards. Sorry, folks. But his property, they actually had a place where the one trolley track paralleled the other because they would do a short, maybe 100, 200 feet or less switch where one trolley could pass another on a sidetrack. And he had that His property was actually set back from the road because of that extra track. And then it came up right along 207. There was actually a loop, kind of a horseshoe loop by Ayers Gap to gain out some altitude, come up a hill. And there are postcards of Ayers Gap with the trolley going through it, I believe. And then through South Wyndham, right by the mushroom plant, and along there, you can see the old right-of-way along 32, and then diverted off 
into South Windham, and then the piece right by Le from Miller Brothers up by Landon Tire. The old road went into the village and didn't come out. The trolley came out, and where, where Apollo Pizza and Rogers, that whole stretch right there, I believe you'll actually find that the road was the trolley track or the trolley right-of-way because there was also a station for the, um, the prayer meeting area, the Wyndham Camp Meeting Association or the... The mini village there, whatever you'd like to call it. Immaculata Retreat and, House. And no, the... It's up the hill the, there. The, yeah. sub, the sub houses. Immaculata is separate. Okay. I the camp it. meeting association. And then came right down into town under the railroad bridge, over the river, what's now the Bridge of Flowers, Gilson Bridge, mm -hmm. and then right up to the, to the train tracks. New Haven Railroad would not let them build a cross, a diamond across... So you actually had to get off one trolley, get on another trolley waiting right there, and that would take you all the way out to an amusement park that was associated with the trolley line at Coventry Lake, what's now Patriots Park. Had the lake, food, roller rink is where Bruce Ingraham's um, auction house is right now. I don't know of any trolley line going down the rest of Main Street beyond you know lower than american thread there so if there was it would have been a separate spur but i've never i've never seen it on maps if dave has come up with anything you know it should show on diagrams of main street plus when they tear up that lower main street there should be trolley there might be trolley tracks because when they did redevelopment they tore up the old cobblestones and everything they're also tearing up trolley tracks the actual trolley barn at Willimanic was Tyler, where Tyler Square is now, what the town used to use as a service facility. That was trolley storage, and that was a trolley house. That was a trolley version of a roundhouse. With, I don't think it ever had a turntable, but I also may be wrong on that. But that was actually the trolley facility. If people remember it, it was, it was probably about 150 feet long, so you could get like four trolleys in there. And the town used it for the trucks and everything. So that's that's the one I know of. And then there's one down Norwich Way, actually off of Route 2 by the, what's the old uh, Connecticut State, well, Route 12, Connecticut State Hospital. So do that's off you, Do 12. you have displays at the museum to honor the history of the trolleys, which were a factor around here. The one I heard the most about was the one you just talked about, the one that went Willimany to Coventry. The part about the Norwich thing, I knew they had one. I hadn't heard as much about it, but I'm just wondering what you have to give that part of railroad history. That's limited. As as far as, you know, as far as by us here at Willimanic, we have some reference books and things that would show some of the trolleys. Some of the maps might show a little bit, but we're primarily the railroads. And, well, if you look in the Connecticut, Connecticut Railroads book by, by Turner and... can't think of the guy's name. It starts with a J. That has a map that shows some of the trolley lines. But specifically, if you want to learn more about the trolleys, check out the Trolley Museum in East Windsor. Route 140 in East Windsor, they have... They're on a piece of old trolley line that went out towards Stafford, and they, they have a ride, they have a lot of things going on, and they would have maps, and they have a repair house, 
They have a number of things operating. They also they also do Christmas and Halloween stuff. But I'm not supposed to talk about that because they're a rival museum. I didn't hear a word you said. I, okay. I totally. No, I'm teasing. Totally missed that. You know, but, I, when I walk in. I mean, that would give people a lot more reference and documents. But Wyndham Town Hall might actually have, if you if you look just look up maps of Main Street from, say, 19, 1900 to 1920s, it should show the trolley line as part of the diagrams and what they had to work around. When I walk the airline south, going from the Willimantic River Trail over that nice refurbished bridge they've got, going down to Kingsley Road, which is the extension of Pleasant Street out toward Lebanon, there is a hill that goes up to Kingsley Road, and then after you head south of there, it goes down. And I often wonder, back in the old railroad days, when they were on what's now the airline trail, was there a tunnel there? And the road went above it. Why is the road? Why is the trail going up and then back down again? Well, because DEP wanted some way to meet the roads, and no, Wayne, there was no tunnel. You can see where I'm coming but on that. I, I know exactly what. Actually, on Flanders Road, on Leonard, Leonard Bridge Road, on Kingsley Road, there were what, what the railroad, what was sort of referred to as a pony bridge. Because they were built back in the days of the horse and wagon. And they basically came across the tracks, level, and then dived down to the next level of the road in many cases. If you went around the Kingsley Road Bridge or Flanders Road, if you were going too fast, you could actually get a little launch or at least lift the springs on your car. The flip, And I'm surprised Wayne doesn't know this because Wayne has... You know, since Wayne is back from the 1500s, like that boat wreck he told you about, and he said, I w- well, I remember. So Wayne should have remembered in the 60s, 70s, even into the 80s, Flanders Road Bridge, as it's now constructed, is with, with just a little tunnel. There was an iron bridge there, iron and wood, and that kind of came off in this straight and then down into the curve. And Kingsley Road was even more projected, or whatever you want to call it. It you could you could lift the car without much much help. And what they did in coming along in about the early to mid eighties, they eliminated a lot of these old bridges. And to make it simple for maintenance, if like on the Hop River Trail, they actually put a, t- a little tunnel narrow tunnel through you can only fit like a maybe a narrow four-wheeler dirt bike type of thing is that the one at Potter Street that's at Flanders Road right above Biggins Auto and stuff where that oh that that's right right off of 66 66 now used to be route 6 but what they did at Chesborough Bridge and um Kingsley Road they basically put in a lot of fill yeah they closed the bridge filled to the road filled it right up to road level and made the road solid. And then when they actually made the rail trail, they made it, made it more gradual for climbing if DEP has to bring in equipment for trail maintenance as well as easier for people to actually access. So that's why you have that buildup. So you, like at, at Chesborough Bridge, Len, well, Leonard Bridge in Lebanon, you've got an actual like probably a 25-foot drop to get down to trail. 
because you've got to allow for the railroad went under a bridge there. So the, the railroad level is actually whatever the level at the bottom of those, of those uphills. Hey, Just as you see a gradual climb, or not so gradual, like where you said you walked the other day at 203. Quick question. There was a rail quick question. Just need a quick answer on this. But you talked about the Flanders Road thing. That's the portion that is closed going out to the old Hop River Bridge, and then it connects again off King Road. And there's a lot of people who bike, run, walk, who want to know. Are they going to fix that bridge, and when will the airline connect to the Hop River, which right now it doesn't do? You have to go on 66, and that's not a place I want to spend well, much time. Well, you don't fully have to go on 66. You can come right up to Flanders Road there and come out to the side and then go down Flanders about a quarter mile and ride over to Kingsley. But what do you hear on a timetable for getting that I bridge I don't know fixed? a timetable. I know I was in a meeting in Columbia where DOT talked about it, and the town planner, you know, they had town people, town government people there as well. And they did a kind of a hearing publicity meeting about what the plan is. Instead of rebuilding the railroad bridge, I don't know. Well, DP says the bridge, the bridge footings are unstable and they basically want to clean out the stone bridge. And they're going to build a bridge similar to what they have over 384 and, the, and Middle Turnpike there at Manchester one of those red bridges, something like that. They're going to build a whole new bridge there, and the granite from the abutments and things will actually be used for benches and things along the right-of-way. So that's an over to, amazingly, how much money they're spending on the, on the trail. I'm kind of amazed, but that's a separate topic. But basically, they're going to do a whole new bridge there. They're actually going to widen the Flanders Road tunnel that whole tunnel will be actually rebuilt, so it's more like the crossing under 66 near Merritt Valley Road, under 6 near Merritt Valley in Andover, and you'll have an actual tunnel through, tunnel and passage for repair vehicles and things like that, and just a wider, more comfortable trail, because right now it's kind of uncomfortable to walk through because it's, so, it's really narrow. Railroad Day coming up on Saturday at the Connecticut Eastern Railroad Museum. Do you get people, Ray, who say, where, where, how do I find your museum? And, part two, where do I park? Well, you park right, right near the museum when you find it. How do I find it? I don't know how you find it, Wayne, because you can't use your GPS. If you use your GPS, you're going to find yourself right in the cemetery going around in circles where you can <laughs> see the museum and the railroad tracks. But you can't get there from here. All right, so... So you got to come down uh, off of Bridge Street by the crossing. Turn right. As soon as your right rear tire is leaving the crossing, turn in that driveway there, go up the dirt and paved road to the trailhead, and go be, keep going up, and in about three-quarter mile, you'll come to the museum and you'll see parking there with the flower beds that have been done by Janet Atkins and her beautification committee. And we're, we're basically located between the river and the railroad, but equal with Stop and Shop Burger King, if that gives folks a, a geographical position. Because when you're coming up by Mackey's equal in the fall... Meaning, equal meaning just south, across... Yeah, across through the cemetery. Yeah, okay. You know, you can see the roundhouse when you're coming up from right. Mackey's in the wintertime. Bottom line is... Go south, go south on Bridge Street and use the railroad tracks that you cross every day on Bridge Street as a cue. 
And as soon as you get past those railroad tracks, I mean five feet past the railroad tracks, hang Start a right, turning. Have, hang a right, and you'll figure it out. How is my version? That pretty well sums your, it up, doesn't it? Your version was shorter yeah. than Ray's version because Ray always adds a few too many words. Uh, do I get to hear some live music when I go to Railroad Day? Will there be some... Uh, there should... I don't know exactly, but I know Duke York will be playing and a few other people are coming down to sing and play the banjo and the... I doubt the drum, but the electric guitar and stuff will be in use. Let me guess... We should have some good Railroad tr- songs. L- that's just what I was going to say. Let me guess there's going to be singing train songs. Well, That's what they I, do. I would, I would say, I would say, some in tune and some out of tune. There will be a whole <laughs> bunch of train songs. And by the way, John Tuitt, probably on Friday, is going to honor someone named Dennis with train songs. I wonder who that would be. That's we'll Dennis O'Brien and Susan from the uh, Let's Talk About It. Well, we'll have to check that out. That's new information for me here, and you can circle Saturday. Is this event always a Labor Day weekend event? We always do the Saturday of Labor Day weekend, There, thereby we establish it as, you know, that it's rolling year to year, but on the same respective weekend. When you have Railroad Day, Ray, what do you think people find to be the most popular event on that special day at the museum? Playing with trains. <laughs> Just like we did back in the old Lionel days. Well, yeah. I mean, a, a friend and I used to joke that when we'd go rail fanning up in Palmer, we were people would ask, well, do you have a model railroad at home? And we would be like, well, we model 12 inches of foot gauge. We're out here doing it right now. And the museum is, you might call it, a, a little bit of a playground. I mean, most we're an all-volunteer organization, so it comes from some devotion to the history of the railroads and liking to tinker with stuff for the guys who are diesel mechanics, as well as tinkers with metal, replacing the ties, doing the rail work, and as well as keeping the heritage of the railroad alive as, you know, honoring older techniques of railroad labor, just like you have Blue Slope Farm and other things, you know, Sturbridge, Zagray Museum, other museums as well. It's all honoring techniques that were done in the past, that we things that may be automated or much more automated now. And from a kid's perspective, well, from, from a little boy's perspective, and I know some girls who are rail fans, you know, you get to play with big toys, and they make big noises. Ray still likes to make big noise. You know, I... I Thud through the house, you know, so I make sure I hear myself coming and going. How about the train whistle? That makes there, nice noise. It's the train whistle, which uh, it scares some little kids, but usually the kid's like, pull, pull, you know, just like the kids go up the side of the road and they're trolling the truckers. Give me that horn. We've all done it. <laughs> and I still go down to Bridge Street fairly often and just watch the train go by. You, it's, part of, it's part of heritage. I grew up and my brother Martin was, was a rail fan even back in the 60s. So he was, my babysitter took me rail fanning, and that's where I caught this this hobby, disease, whatever anybody wants to call it. Yeah, and then when the train goes by in back of the radio station here, I stop 
and I watch every single time. At Railroad Day, you have a kids' station area with a couple of old-style carnival games. Yeah, I'm not sure what the carnival games are exactly. I know that's what what Janet Atkins and a few people have been working with the Eastern students to set that up. And we usually have face painting. East, Eastern students are a lot of help to us through the year. Students come down as part of their work community work program and clean up in the spring. They work railroad day, they work opening day, and they do another cleanup later in the fall. And we, as I said earlier, we'll have that. We have the crawl through, climb on cars with with the Betty Lou locomotive. Mary Lou. Mary Lou, I'm gonna get it. I'm getting a call from Tom today. I'm sure, <laughs> or or Wayne will just pop me on the uh, noggin. Uh, uh, as, and yeah, we also I'll have take, the garden I'll take, railroad. I take my little railroad whistle here and bop you on the noggin. All right, that sounds fair. Well, Jason Altieri gave me this, by the way, about 20 years ago, and it sits right oh. here, arms length away. Uh, and when I need a railroad whistle, I got one. He's so. the guy, the gentleman okay. from that used to run Uba's Deli. Yeah, it's Cupid. Jason Altieri, all right, a guy who sings train songs. As a matter of fact, yes. a lot of times with Bruce John. So, yeah. you'll be having a dedication of the newly restored Central Vermont Railway 4052 and celebrating her hundredth birthday. Let's hear the story of the Central Vermont Railway 4052. That's the number of the railroad car, I guess. That's the number of the caboose car, and we actually the caboose had made it to the um, Trolley Museum in East Windsor and was vandalized after being out near the sign there and partly burnt and then we acquired it probably somewhere in I would say in the early 90s and Bev York wondered where the hell her husband was many weekends over the next years and her husband was actually hiding in the 4052 Duke put in over something like 2,500 hours of work on the 4052 caboose because you're trying to match old wood, save as much wood from the original car as possible, as well as we had a reweld sections of frame and steps on there. So the caboose has gone through a heck of a lot of restoration time and a lot of work by other museum members. In fact, we had a program where Duke was at, he was begging for help, so it was like, Please come scrape on the 4052. Just work 15, 20 minutes, and it will be of great help. So we had that going for a couple of years, too, just to scrape off old paint and get down to basic good solid wood and things. He's done a hell of a lot of work, and everybody should come see it. It's a real nice restoration, as is the Rutland Caboose. will be there as well. That was donated by one of our members a few years ago. And that is a beautiful restoration also. We will be doing the 100th anniversary of the 4052. So that's how long ago this car was built. Would be 1923. So those and two cabooses. In, those in two. service on the Central Vermont for many years. But wooden cabooses were probably gone by the mid-70s. I remember as a kid, we actually had the CN orange metal cabooses with the big windows on them coming down here on CV Freights. Because so, New England Central, Central Vermont, used to be owned by Canadian National, 1892 to 1995. So those two cabooses, you'll be giving rides on those cabooses on Saturday, 11-3, pulled by your 44-ton locomotive. 
What's the story on that big guy? Well, that's actually a small guy from a, from a locomotive point of view. <laughs> Bigger than my car. <laughs> yeah, probably by about 42 and a half tons. And the that particular locomotive, I believe, used to be on Long Island Railroad, then was purchased by the Valley Railroad and was down there for a number of years, helping switch the cars and running on some of the trains. And then one, it's actually got two locomotive engines, diesel engines, and one basically went kaput, needs rebuilding. And so that was about when we acquired it. And that, that locomotive has actually named Liberty after Liberty Bank because Liberty Bank helped us with $10,000 grant at the time to help trans, transport it up here. So that is a gem in our collection. The 44-ton designation comes from anything over 45 tons was to be operated by an engineer and a second crew person at minimum. So a 44-tonner could be operated as a one-man locomotive in some cases for limited switching and things by the rail lines. Ray, from a history standpoint... We just talked about this a week or two ago on the anniversary of Connie and Diane in 1955. Can you talk about the impact of the massive flooding we had in 1955 on rail traffic in Connecticut, rail traffic on the air, what's now the airline trail, and what happened to rail traffic after the flood of 1955? Well, I was going to be a wise guy and say I have no idea what Wayne is talking about, but... Actually, in August of 1950, we had passenger train service through Willimantic on the airline to Boston. There were three trains a day up to August 1955. There were three trains in each direction on the line, basically coming down Boston, Putnam, Willimantic, turning west at Willimantic, Hartford, Waterbury, down to Bridgeport, and to New York that way. That's how those trains come. And there's actually a photo in the, the Connecticut Railroad's book of trains meeting at Hampton, the diesel engines meeting at Hampton in 1950, I believe in 53. Approximate, Wayne can confirm the date, so I may do this wrong, but Hurricane Connie came through in, I believe on the 18th. August 14th. August 14th, and basically softened everything up, got everything wet, and every, things are half swimming, and then when does Diane come through? August 19th. Okay, so it's five days. I thought it was three days apart. And basically just blew everything to heck. The, on the airline through Putnam, the three-section the three section bridge in Putnam, one section fell. And that's, that, was the mo- that was the damage. President McGinnis of the New Haven came through Putnam and Willimantic and talked about they're going to rebuild this line. It was essential as a freight lot, getting the freights up to Boston, because New Haven <coughs> tried to operate the inland division as the freight line and the shoreline for some of the freight and mo- all the passenger, or most of the passenger, through the 50s. The breakage of that line at Putnam severed the through route. So the, the line east of Putnam from Klondike Yard up through Franklin, Mass., and stuff that continued operating as a through route by coming up 
from Groton to Putnam and then turning northeast. The line out to actually into Pomfret served a lumber company and a couple of things from ni about 1962 to 65 and then was cut back. And actually the line right by Kendall was technically abandoned and then reopened in about 1968 for Kendall. Is that what they call the Kendall Spur? Yeah, they oh. called it the Kendall Spur or that, you know, that piece of the airline trail. Then after Kendall left, it was closed, but in place until 2003, when they, 2001, 2003, when they did the Veterans Rail Trail, Providence and Worcester took up the took up the rail, what was left in the street and the sidings, we got for the Railroad Museum, P&W, as designated state operator, reused the rail that they tore up there to reopen the line through Weathersfield and Rocky Hill, down to Middletown. But, and that work in Putnam was never done, so, you know, now you can see the bridge abutments, but the two other sections of the bridge were there into the 2000s. It was kind of funny, because you could, you could see exactly where the break was, and it's like, well, why couldn't they get a bridge section? Wayne, you have somebody at the door. I don't care. Okay. Okay. Let <laughs> so them wait. We're closed. Um, I, let, I let you in. That's all that matters. The, in Putnam, the flooding was so bad during these hurricanes that there was a magnesium ladder and mower deck factory in Putnam. And one thing about magnesium, it doesn't like oxygen. And when the flooding came through, the, the factory exploded. Because, actually, I believe they use magnesium for the underwater flares and things. I'm not positive on that one, but just to give you an idea. So there were fires and a lot of damage in Putnam from that, that whole Kennedy Road area. The housing, the factories that were along there, was all flooded out below the Cargill Dam. Ray Axelrod, our guest from the Connecticut Eastern Railroad Museum. Railroad Day at the museum, 55 Bridge Street, Willimantic, is this Saturday from 11 until 3. You can get probably that story and a lot of other railroad stories as well from Ray and the gang, the volunteers from the Connecticut Eastern Railroad Museum, their biggest event of the year. You can ride on their replica 1890 pump car. There's a couple of speeders. Those are motorized hand cars that will be giving rides to the old airline yard and along the driveway. A lot of good things going on at the Connecticut Eastern Railroad Museum on Saturday. Thanks to my friend Ray, I've got an app here on the phone that m measures my walking. It all began with this guy exposing me to the airline trail, which I didn't know about in 2015. And uh, right now I'm at 3,000 and counting, 3,000 miles. And, uh, and you started it. It's, it's your, it's it's my your fault. fault. I'm sorry, yeah, Wayne. That's it. That's um, it. So Wayne has walked enough to get across the darn country. If you can imagine, I figured it out. Miles. It's Vancouver, British Columbia. That's what it is. Because it's really 2,600 to LA, so that doesn't count. Anyway, I thank you for that, my friend. And, and I thank you for letting me know there's a guy at the door, which I can't. You want me to just get up while you're telling a story and answer the door? I can't do that. No, so I, let him knock on the door and I'll come back later. Okay, well, you, you let him in because you're leaving right now. But I appreciate you showing up and uh, tooting your horn about the railroad museum. Oh, you're blowing your whistle on 14 WILI Romantic at 95.3 FM. Right.